whatever setting they happen to be. There will be a teacher for the teaching station. There will be somebody running sports in the sports station. There will be somebody running snacks in the snack station. I don't know why that takes somebody special to run that one. You'd think it would take care of itself, but there is somebody there. So you don't actually have any responsibilities other than just sort of shepherding the kids. So if you are interested in doing that, uh, let me know. We still need uh, a few more for, uh, for a couple more of our groups. Flower barrels are out there. A uh, bunch of them have already uh, got flowers in them, but if you are interested in adopting a barrel, bring a bunch of colorful flowers and fill them up. Uh, also, if you like taking care of flowers throughout the summer and like, you know, deadheading things and kind of making sure that they're still doing good uh, and watering any of those kinds of things, let me know because there's always a need for that as we go through the summer. Jam Camp is coming July 17th through 21. Uh, so getting in, it, it does fill up. And so if you are planning on sending your kid to Jam Camp, uh, make sure that you do it sooner rather than later. If you wonder what Jam Camp is, you can talk to Mitchell. And if money would be the thing that would keep you from sending your child to Jam Camp, don't let that stop you. That we have uh, scholarships available, and so talk to Mitchell about that as well. Women of Riverside Community, Monday, June 13th. More information about that in your bulletin, I would assume. And then Father's Day is coming uh, two weeks from today, where we honor all the guys at Riverside, just like we honored all the ladies at Riverside on Mother's Day. So on Father's Day, we have a slideshow at, um, during the service, similar to the one on Mother's Day, but it's with the guys, with their kids, or fathers. Uh, basically, the guys with their kids or with their fathers or any combination thereof. I need like three pictures of each of the guys and uh, which service you're planning on coming to. And then uh, one, one new thing, uh, we're streaming again, live streaming, so hello to everybody that is uh, tuning in at home. But um, we're doing it a little differently this time. We're doing it through Facebook this time instead of through Periscope. So especially for those of you at home, if, uh, if you have a, a, an opinion about which one works better, now would be the time to speak up and let us know because uh, we're trying to figure out how we're going to make this work. And uh, we're still trying to figure out how to get a better quality signal to it too. But anyways, um, all that, uh, that's all of our announcements. So moving on to uh, James part. 15? Yeah, 15. Uh, and we will still be in this book for about another month and a half throughout the summer. Uh, and like Janet said, this is the third part of what was going to be a one, maybe two part lesson. And uh, we are into part three, but I, I finished it last night. And so I'm confident that we can finish it today. Uh, and this one I'm calling two kinds of fire, two kinds of words, two kinds of life. And hopefully that'll make sense uh, by the time we're done. But it basically revolves around the importance of our words and what we do with them. So to kind of get us started, James chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is small, a small thing that makes grand speeches. No one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so, blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. And 
It's the same passage that I read last week because we're really working off of the same passage today. We're just kind of moving on to some different points. But you kind of get this impression that James, James thinks what we do with our mouths, what we do with the words that we say, is pretty important, right? I mean, he, he, if James was given to exaggeration, you might think that this was him exaggerating about the importance of our words. James does not do a whole lot of exaggerating. He is the most practical writer in the New Testament. And so when he says something that sounds like an exaggeration, it's probably a good idea to say, huh, maybe I should put some stock in what he's saying. At least think about it. At least, you know, ask myself, what are my words doing to other people and to myself? Now, some churches have taken this and what they've kind of decided to do, at least partially, with this concept of the importance of our words is that we create sort of a, a Christian lingo system, I guess you could call it. I've heard people call it Christianese, Christian speak. Uh, it's, it's words or phrases that we say that unless you grew up in church or have spent a lot of time in church sort of learning the whole language thing, you'd be kind of confused. And we don't do that much here at Riverside, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But if you've ever uh, been to a church where they use this kind of language, and you wondered, what are they talking about? I figured maybe I would show you this. So you've recently become a Christian. Great! Well, now you've got to clean up your language. And no, I'm not talking about all of those four-letter words. Although, you do need to do that too, or else... <laughs> no, I'm talking about Christianese. You need to learn how to speak it and fast. Talk that talk so people know that you walk that walk. Thankfully, Christian speak is just a rebranded version of things that you already say. In this video, I will provide you with the tools you need to sound like a sold-out Christian. Oh, actually, that's a good place to start. You see, when you're a Christian, the term sold out basically means the exact opposite of what you're used to. Because you're used to it being a bad thing. Man, you know that band that we love? Yeah. They signed a major record deal and they sold out! No! But when you're a Christian... Man, you know that Christian band that we love? Yeah. Man, they're sold out for Jesus Christ. Amen. And now that you're a Christian, obviously you have to start going to church. And you used to be able to get away with saying stuff like it's too long or it was boring, but you can't say stuff like that anymore. If you want to convey that church went too long, just simply use the phrase, Wow, the spirit was really moving this morning. <laughs> At least put a positive spin on it. I mean, ten courses of mighty to save and five key changes. It was alright. <laughs> Come to the front! Oh, and say bye-bye to those secular hangouts with your friends. Now you call it doing life. Selfie time! <laughs> oh, I love getting to do life with my girl. <laughs> and don't think that just because you're a Christian, you have to stop gossiping. Heckles, no! We just call them prayer requests. Hey guys, you might want to be praying for Rhonda. She's been talking about people behind their backs. Isn't that what you're doing right now? No. You're stupid. You might want to be praying for her too. She's been backsliding.
talking. Oh, and if some fellow believer asks you to do something and you don't want to do it, but you don't want to tell them that you don't want to do it, just tell them that you'll pray about it. And speaking of getting a no, we Christians have our own way of saying that you've been friendzoned. Renee, I just have to tell you that I really like you a lot. Oh, James, I think about you more as- No, 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 don't that, say it. I think about you- No, please don't do this to me. Like a brother in Christ. <laughs> it's okay, James. That girl was probably causing you to stumble. And here's five more. A more Christian way to say that you want to be kind to somebody is to say that you want to love on them. It's just a thing we say, don't read too much into it. The word anointed is equivalent to the word good, as in, he's really anointed on the guitar. Praying is equivalent to the word thinking, as in, I'm praying about if I should go to McDonald's or not. It's between you and God, equals, I, I do, do not condone, condone what you're, you're doing. doing. And the phrase, I feel led, means, I think that this is what God wants me to do, but don't quote me on it because I'm not positive. The end. So there you go, those should get you started. I mean, there's a lot more Christianese for you to learn, but believe me, you'll have many different seasons of life to learn. And I know... Now, there's nothing wrong with using those phrases, okay? Um, but I don't think that's exactly what James meant when he said we need to be careful about the words that we use. I think what he was getting at is not what our vocabulary is as much as it was what are the words that I'm using doing to the people that I am using them on. And so today we're going to finish up this particular section of James chapter 3 where he's focusing in on our words uh, by talking about kind of three things. The third one is maybe the most practical thing that you can do to heal your speech. Um, but the first point that I want to get into is this, that my words reflect my self-image. My words reflect my self-image. In other words, the things that I say reflect more on what's going on inside of me than they do on the person that I'm speaking to, if that makes any sense. Um, last week, when I talked about the power of our words and how our words can hurt other people, I got a lot of questions from people asking about, you know, what does that mean when it comes to the whole political correctness uh, sort of movement in America and, you know, free speech, free zones where you can be guaranteed that no words will hurt your feelings and all these things like that, right? And it's like, you know, that's a whole other subject. And I spend the first two days of the devotionals this week talking about just kind of that idea because, I mean, it is a tough thing to figure out, right? We're like, Okay, so I'm supposed to love, accept, and forgive people the way that Jesus did. You know, it's the, the three times in the New Testament that the Bible said, Jesus did this for you, now you need to do this for each other. Love just like Jesus loved you, accept just like Jesus, Jesus accepted you, forgive just like Jesus forgave you. So you've got that. And then on the other hand, the Bible says that there, it is our responsibility to speak up for the truth, to stand for the truth, to, to, to confront error when we see it, right? And so it's like you've got these two seemingly diametrically opposed extremes. How do I navigate that? What, what, does, what does this mean about, about that whole thing? And all that to say this one thing, and this, the first two days are just about this in the, de de the devotionals this week. When it comes to, to, to how, you, how you navigate that, that, that stream, it's really complicated, okay? 
Um, and I know I intended to make that one of the points today, but I mean, that one point alone was going to be like half the lesson. And so I was like, we got to move on from, from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So it's in the devotionals. If you're, if you're curious about that, read up on it. But just remember this. Whatever you're thinking I need to say to somebody or I need to make sure that people understand my position about something, what you say reflects more about what's going on inside of you than it does what, whoever it is that you're speaking to or whatever issue it is that you're speaking to. Um, James, back in James chapter 1, if you remember, he compared the Bible to a mirror. He said that what we're supposed to do is use the Bible as a mirror. Uh, and a regular mirror, what it's there for is to tell us the truth, hopefully, right? Uh, we may not like the truth that we see in the mirror, but that's what it's there for. For us to take a look before we go out into public to make sure that people aren't, you know, that they aren't exposed to things they shouldn't be exposed to, right? So we're looking, is my hair okay? Do I have any spinach in my teeth? Anything coming out of my nose? Whatever, right? And that's the purpose of a mirror. Now, the same thing is what James is trying to say is for, as the Bible is for. We're supposed to look at it to say, how am I doing? Not physically speaking, because God cares much less about our physical appearance than he does our spiritual appearance. And so the Bible is there to look at and to say, how am I doing? And I don't know about you, but as I have gone through the book of James, and we've talked about how we handle trouble, how we handle temptation, how we relate to people that are being oppressed, through injustice and all those different things, what, what our response to poverty is. And now as we're talking about what, how we handle our words, the Bible has had a lot to say about how well I'm doing in many of these different areas that I don't necessarily like, but it's there to tell us the truth. Now, what happens is sometimes what we would rather do, rather than looking in the mirror and seeing the reality of what's going on with us is we want to take it down off of the wall and turn it around and start showing it to other people to say, let me, let me just show you what's going on in your life, okay? And like I said, there, are, there is a time and a place for that if you're a follower of Jesus, but you've, you've got to be really cautious when you start going down that road. And if you haven't already used the Bible as a mirror to say, how am I doing in these areas? Do not take it down off of the wall and start using it to show other people what's wrong in their lives. Because first and foremost, it's for you to look in to see what's going on in your life. Now, James says there are two things that we do, if we're not careful, that will cause all kinds of problems in our lives. First one's found in James chapter 3, verse 5, where he says, The tongue is a small part of the body, but it brags about great things. So boasting is one thing that James says, it's not good, all right? It's like the opposite of humility. And if you know anything about the story of Jesus, his life, if you were going to pick one thing, love probably first, and then after that, humility. That, he is the picture, the most powerful being in the universe, the most humble being in the universe. It's like, how did he do that? But he never went around boasting. He never went around trying to, to make sure that everybody understood his resume. And when we do, it's a sign of insecurity inside of us, right? We're not okay unless somebody else knows how awesome we are. <laughs> and so we've got to make sure that we're constantly telling them, well, look at what I can do. Look at what I did. Look at, you know, it's like, so boasting is not a good thing. There's another one, though, that will send our lives down the wrong direction if we do it. And it's found in James chapter 3, verse 9. 
We use our tongues to praise our Lord and Father, but then we curse people whom God made like himself. Praises and curses coming from the same mouth. And James is basically saying that is not good. Um, if boasting is trying to lift ourselves up so that everybody can, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me, cursing is like if I can't get myself to where I'm above someone else, then what I'll do is I'll try to drag them down, right? I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to knock them down. I'll attack them. And so you've got these two things that are really, boasting and cursing are really what lawyers do in court, right? And this is a little bit of an oversimplification, but a defense attorney is basically trying to, to you know, to talk his client up, to, to make him seem or her seem cool so that the judge or the jury will go in their direction. The prosecutor is there to tear that person down, right? And like I said, it's a little bit of an oversimplification, but they are court terms. And James, his whole, I mean, up until this, this point, his, whole, every, his solution to every single issue that people go through is look at Jesus. You're going through tough times, take your eyes off of the tough times you're going on, put them on Jesus. Think about what he did for you, that'll shoot adrenaline in your soul. You're going through temptation, take your eyes off of the thing that seems so real, so tempting, and look at Jesus. And he will help you get through whatever it is that you're going through. On and on and on it goes. Everything is always look at Jesus. And what he says is, Jesus pulled you out of that justice system. His death, his sacrifice, his gift was to take you out of that justice system so that there is no judgment. There's J Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's pulled you out of that justice system. When we boast and curse, we are putting ourselves back in there. And James is saying, get out of the courtroom. You do not want to be in the courtroom. Now, the question comes up and we say, well, what if the person that we are cursing deserves it, right? What if, what if they really do deserve what I am saying to them? Still, what you are saying to, to anyone is a bigger reflection on what's going on inside of you than whatever they may or may not be doing. So be very careful. There are positive ways to go about confronting people. Jesus never boasted or cursed anyone in his life, and yet... He, he confronted people from time to time, right? But look at the people that he confronted and look at the people that he was gentle with. Over and over and over, the people that had the most obviously sinful, messed up lives, he's incredibly gentle with them. The religious leaders who on the outside looked like they had it all together but were missing the, the, they were missing the point. He would give them lecture after lecture after sermon after sermon, sometimes incredibly harsh with these guys. So a lot of times the people that we think deserve it the most are the people that Jesus would have been the most gentle with. And the people that we think, wow, they've really got it all together, are the people that maybe Jesus would have the most to say to. And so we got to be really careful. Because even if people seem to, to, to deserve some kind of dressing down, right? Some kind of really giving it to them. There's this story that was told in the first century. You won't find it in the Bible, uh, but it was a story that the rabbis told. It was called the Disputation of Moses. And it was a story about what happens after Moses' death. Moses dies, people of Israel cross over into the Promised Land, and Moses is still up there in the mountains. He, he can see the Promised Land, he watches the people cross over and he dies. 
The devil, the story goes, comes to try to take Moses' body. So God sends the archangel, um, Michael or Gabriel? Michael. To, to stop him. And they're down there disputing over this whole thing. And the only reference to this story in the New Testament is from the book of Jude. And this is what Jude says, Jude chapter 1, verse 9. He says, but even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. He wouldn't even curse the devil. And if anybody deserves curses, right? If there's anybody on the face of the planet that deserves to be cursed, it's, it's the devil. And yet Michael wouldn't do it. Why? Because that was beneath Michael. Because that would say more about what was inside of Michael than it would about what was wrong with the devil. And so even that guy, Michael wouldn't do that. And so think about it. Think about what you're saying. It is going to say more about what's going on inside of you than it does any, anybody that you happen to be saying it to. Second observation is this. My words direct my life. Now, this is really the point that we've, I mean, we've hit this point both of the last two weeks. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But this is an important thing to grasp. A lot of times we think that what will change the course of our lives is if we carefully craft a, a public image, a persona, right? Especially on social networking, right? And we think if I, if I can make people think a certain way about me, well then that will change the direction of my life. And so we, we put a lot of effort into how we craft that, that public persona. Let's watch this. Hi there. I'm Katie, and I'm here today to teach you how to have the perfect Christian Girl Instagram account. Now, the first thing you need to realize is that having a Christian Girl Instagram account, this isn't just a hobby. This is work. I mean, there are so many different routes you can go with this. Do you spend all your free time on Pinterest and Tumblr and Google looking for inspirational pictures with Bible verse quotes on them? Or do you wake up at absurd hours of the day every single morning just so you can capture a snapshot of the sunrise and share with your followers how much you love God's creation? But you know what? I'm not here to intimidate you. I'm here to help you. So I'm going to give you two keys, and these are the two pictures that are essential for every girl who wants to have a Christian girl Instagram account. Now the first one is probably the most important one, and that, of course, would be the perfect devotional picture. The first thing you need to remember is that you need to post a picture every single time you read your Bible. If it isn't on your feed, did you really even read? Just posting about it is not enough, though. You need to realize that the quality of your time spent with God is directly linked to the amount of likes that you get on your Instagram picture. So we need to make sure that this picture is one of the artsiest pictures you've ever taken. But don't worry, you don't need a nice camera or really any photography skills for that matter. All you need are five things. A wooden background, artsy lighting, highlighters, a candle, and don't forget your cup of coffee. Now when it comes to actually taking and editing your picture, don't stress. All you need to do to make sure that this picture shows just how deep and spiritual you are when you do your devotions is pick a filter with a really strong fade on it. I never used to like coffee until I realized that you can't get the full spiritual meaning out of the text unless you have a cup of coffee with your devotions. I mean, why else would every single Christian Instagram account have a cup of coffee in every single picture they've ever posted with a Bible in it? Obviously, coffee is necessary for full edification. And the second key is so much more simple. All you need to do is post a selfie with a Bible verse as the caption. I mean, really, you could just choose a random book of the Bible, put a few numbers together, and voila, you've got a great caption, because no one's actually gonna look up the reference of whatever you put in the caption. And now, not only can people appreciate the fact that you are wonderfully and fearfully made, but they can also appreciate the fact that you love Jesus enough to post a picture with a Bible verse with it. 
So there you have it. Those are the two easy steps for any girl to master having a perfect Christian girl Instagram account. If you are feeling led by the Spirit to share this video with any of your friends that you think that their Instagram feeds could benefit from seeing this video, or if you know anybody who needs to learn that if you don't love coffee, you don't love Jesus, then feel free to share this video with them. So thank you so much for watching. Now if you'll excuse me, I'm gonna go read my devotions, drink my coffee while listening to Jesus Culture, and then post about it so all my friends can know how great of a Christian I am. Have a blessed day, everyone. Anybody look up that verse that she had on her selfie, Job 19, verse 17? Yeah, as everybody's looking it up, right? I love this. It does matter, all right? It does matter what verse you put on there. Job 19, 17 says, My breath is repulsive to my wife. I am rejected by my own family. So it does matter, right? But here's the thing. Our crafting an image is not what directs your life. Okay, I mean, it will. It'll just take you in the wrong direction. But there is some very real sense in which the words that we speak will, ch will change the direction of our lives for good or for bad. Um, James 3, verses 3 through 5, he says, When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can control their whole bodies. Also, a ship is very big, but a very small rudder controls that big ship, making it go wherever the pilot wants, it is the same with the tongue. Your mouth, the words you say, will direct your life, according to James, in exactly the same way that a bit in the mouth of a horse will make it go, its whole body go wherever you want it to go, and the way that a small rudder on a huge ship directs that ship wherever the pilot wants it to go. I don't know exactly how that whole thing works, but I have seen it work itself out in my life and other people's lives over and over and over again. Our words will either take us in a direction of life or they will take us in a completely different direction. In James 3 verse 6, he goes on and says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now those are strong words, right? And yet, over and over and over again, you see this play out. Now, the question then becomes, okay, so if, if my mouth can get me into so much trouble that it, it sets the whole course of my life on fire, not just my life, it can, my mouth can set the course of other people's lives on fire too. And then the tongue itself, James says, is set on fire by hell. Then what is the antidote to that? How do we fix that? Right? What's the opposite of a life set on fire by fire from below? I used to think it was, you know, that you have this picture of God with a giant bucket ready to douse us when we said the wrong thing, right? But that's not exactly what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but the, the Bible says that the, the way to deal with this kind of fire is not water at all. It's a different kind of fire. In Acts chapter 2, when the church began, the first day of the church, Jesus had come. He had spent three and a half years with his disciples. He had trained them. They got it right sometimes. Other times they made <laughs> just spectacular mistakes. But Jesus said, look, I'm leaving it with you guys now. But don't worry, it won't just be you. I'm going to send my spirit. So all of you go and gather in Jerusalem and wait for the spirit. And so they're there together, the Bible says. On that first day of the church, there's 120 of them. 
and the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and the Bible says that tongues like fire appeared on top of their heads. Now, I don't know what this must have looked like. I try to visualize it sometimes myself. I have a hard time. I look at pictures other people painted of it, and I'm like, I don't know, that looks weird. I, I don't know what it looked like, okay? But I know this. Those tongues of fire that rested upon these people, they altered the course of these people's lives. It changed the way they spoke, and by changing the way that they spoke, it changed the entire course of their lives, and that changed the entire course of human history forever. And so the, the antidote to this fire that comes from below, that we, can, that we can unleash a sort of hell on earth just with the words that we say, the antidote to that is not getting doused with a great big giant bucket of water. The antidote to that is a different kind of fire, a fire from above. And that leads to our final point for today, my words can heal my life. My words can heal my life. I don't understand exactly how it works, but when we start paying attention to the things that come out of our mouths, it's like that heals my heart. And then as my heart is healed, it makes it easier to control the things that come out of my mouth. And it's all kind of wrapped up together, but you see it over and over and over again. James says, your words will direct your life, so use them to heal. In James 3, verse 10, he says, Praises and curses come from the same mouth. This should not happen. Good, do good and bad water flow from the same spring? No. And a, wool, a well full of salty water cannot give good water. Now, it's interesting. Praises and curses do come out of the same mouth, don't they? And what I think James is saying is not that this can't happen, that praises and curses can't come out of the same mouth. Obviously, he's saying it can. What I think he's saying is they can't come out at the same time. Both can't come out at the same time. If you are using your mouth to praise God, curses will not come out of your mouth while you are doing that. So when you're tempted to speak curses or to boast, what I think James would say is fill your mouth with words of praise. And it's not like that will heal you forever, once and for all time, like an inoculation will keep you from getting measles for the rest of your life. This is something you have to keep coming back to over and over again and reminding yourself when you find yourself tempted to speak words of curse, cursing or boasting, when you find yourself on the other side of having done it, God, oh, I did it again. Fill your mouth with words of praise. I don't understand exactly why that fixes things the way that it does, but I have seen it work over and over and over again. You go back to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, and Jesus is with his friends, right? And it's this famous moment in his ministry where he says to his friends, what are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And it's Disciples start saying, well, some people are saying you're Elijah, or some are saying you're Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And Jesus says, but who do you guys think that I am? And Peter, Peter doesn't even hesitate. This is what he says, Matthew 16, 16. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. It is one of two times that we know of that's recorded before Jesus' death on the cross that somebody stood up and said, I believe you are who you claim to be. It's an amazing statement. It's an amazing statement set of words put together in such a way that it is a praise towards God, right? 
And you know what Jesus says about these words to Peter? Look at it. In Matthew 16, verse 17, Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. In essence, what Jesus says to Peter is, Peter, when you said those words, you had heaven on your tongue. You didn't get those words from any other human being. Those words came straight from heaven. And then he goes on, he says, I'm going to change your name to Peter, which means the rock, and I will build my church upon this rock. Now, what exactly does it mean? What, what is the rock that Jesus is going to build his church upon? Well, the Catholics believe that it's Peter himself, right? That, that he was the first pope, and that's what Jesus was talking about. A lot of really smart people believe that. Um, I think it has more to do with this, this confession that Peter makes. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, that that's more the, the, the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. But think about this for just a minute. When Jesus speaks those words, he is, he is bringing heaven down to earth. And I wonder sometimes, I mean, it's probably a lot more than this, but, it's, but, but I wonder sometimes if part of this, part of this rock upon which he would build his church is this, the praises of God being in our mouths, being upon our tongue, bringing heaven down to earth and spreading it around to the people that are in our lives. Because that's how God changes the world. And I'm not saying that this is all that that's about, but this is a big part of it, okay? You want, do you want to be a rock in this world? A rock that, that other people can depend on? A rock that will change not just your own life, but the lives of the people that are close to you, that God has entrusted into your life? You think about the words that you say. And it's not like just speaking the words will then heal you forever because immediately Peter does something else. Immediately. Two verses later, Jesus starts saying, he starts telling them that he's going to die when he goes to Jerusalem. And Peter, the Bible says, takes him aside and says, Lord, I will never let that happen. And it seems like a great thing for Peter to say, right? Turns out not. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, this is what Jesus says to him. Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now, suddenly Peter has done exactly the opposite of what he was just doing. When he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus says, you didn't get this from anybody here on earth. That came straight from heaven. Now Peter says, I will never allow you to die. Jesus says, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. This is something that you have to stay on top of for, for the rest of your life. But here's the thing. The more that you do it, the easier it will become to do. Learning to, to use my words in a way that, that praises, that brings heaven to earth, rather than bringing hell and unleashing hell on this earth, it'll change everything in your life. It'll change everything in your world. It'll change everything. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. 
We talk about this a lot here at Riverside. God blesses people who are developing the character of his son. The blessings of God will flow into your life when you start working on doing the things that his son asked you to do. He will pour his blessings into your life when you start trying to bring up there, down here, and unleash that on the world. Jesus put it like this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. And if you do this, you will be true children of your Father in heaven. Now, I never noticed this until this week. He says, when you do this, when you bless instead of curse, when you pray for people that, that are trying to hurt you, at that moment, you're not becoming true children of your Father in heaven. At that moment, you are true children of your Father in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that you will stay in that one spot for the rest of your life, right? We're constantly jumping back and forth. And, and if, I mean, even if you're trying your best, you're going to find yourself saying things that you wish you could take back. You're going to find yourself in the middle of something going, oh, that was a boast. Oh, that was a curse. And if this is something that you want to work on this week, then at the back of the lesson sheet, there is a place where there's something called the uh, uh, watch, watch Your Mouth Challenge, I think is what it's called, where it says, try doing these six things just for a week. Pay attention to the words that you're speaking and, and how much negative is coming out of your mouth, how much positive is coming out of your mouth. Do your best to not bring down there, up here, and unleashing in the world, instead bringing up there, down here, and unleashing it on the world. And when you find yourself tempted to speak boasts or curses, instead fill your mouth with praises from above. Now, if you're thinking, I don't even know what, how to do that, at the end of each day's devotionals this week, you can pick one up on the way out, or you can look for them on Facebook. At the end of each day's devotionals this week, there is a psalm that I've written out from the Old Testament, where you can, when you, when you find yourself tempted to do that, open up to that psalm and read it out loud. I don't know what the power is in actually saying the words out loud, but, but there's huge power there. And it will transform your life just doing that one thing this week, I think. I think you'll be blown away at how much different things will be in your life. And I think people in your life will be blown away at how much different things are in their lives if you do this. And so I'll finish up with where we started this week uh, in James chapter 3, verse 2. If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Now, you're never going to be perfect, but be careful what you say and it will help you change your life in ways you never dreamed were possible. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. We are so grateful for your power that you offer to pour into our lives if we would just do our best to live our lives the way that Jesus did. So Lord, show us what that's gonna look like, especially this week with the words that we say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, thank you, Ed.